Thanks for listening to the Tribe Church Podcast. Our prayer is that these episodes bless and equip you in your apprenticeship to Jesus. Our goal as a community is to become more like Jesus and to offer Him through our lives to those around us here in Austin, Texas. More like Jesus, more for others. For more on our church, check out atxtribe.org. God bless. Today, it's going, to be, it's going to be called the pursuit of calling. And I want to make today's message very, very, very practical, okay? So if you're interested in that, if this is your thing, if you, if you feel that tug in your heart about calling, pay attention. This actually might help you. Okay. So in Ephesians 5, I'm going to start off in Ephesians 5 because that's how we ended the last one. Here's what, we, here's what Paul, who wrote Ephesians 5, says. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm going to repeat it again and, and, and then translate it for you. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, here's the modern translation, the Christian Ray translation. You, personally, you, every single person in this room, are God's gift to the world. That's what he's saying. What he's saying is that every single person in this room was created as a masterpiece. And not only that, but created as a masterpiece, as a gift to other people in this world. That's who you are. Now, sometimes we don't feel as a gift, a gift God's gift to the world. And we'll talk about that as well. And the whole, this whole talk is about the pursuit of us experiencing what Ephesians 2 says. See, we can read in the Bible, we can hear a sermon, we can pray about it, and we can sort of intellectually understand and wrap our minds around the sacredness of work. But the difference between thinking about it and feeling it and experiencing it is massive. And that journey is what we're going to be exploring today, okay? So I talked a little bit about last time, you know, just like all of us here have had many jobs, right? Many organizations, many types of jobs. So there's like a sequence of jobs in your adult life that you pursue. But there's a difference between those jobs and then you can, if you dig into it, you can sort of extract, extrapolate, um, dig in and understand the calling within those jobs. What are the common themes that unite those jobs, right? So for me, uh, after the work, I've thought about it a lot, and as a matter of fact, when we, we were planning the sermon series, I think I talk about this so much that Elias was like, this is your thing, dude, you need to preach this, right? And, but I think about that a lot, I do. And actually, sometimes I'm conflicted about it. Uh, I, I wrestle with it, right? It's not an easy thing, but because I've thought about it a lot, where I've landed when it comes to the difference between the jobs that I've occupied, the, my occupation and my vocation, my calling, that vo- the vocation is evangelism. I like sharing good news. I like telling people and seeing a change in them, right? Um, building, I like building things, organizations, that sort of thing, businesses. Um, culture, I like culture. I think culture is upstream from everything else, including politics. Um, and I like philanthropy. So it feels like a vocation to me. 
I, I, I'm pulled towards it. It's sort of a natural thing for me. So those are the f vocational sort of dimensions of, of how God shaped me, right? I'm his handiwork to do good works. This is the good works, right? Um, and it's fascinating that when we, talk about, when we talk about work, many, many times, because of the separation of the sacred and the secular in the West, we don't really think of work as part of that handiwork. We don't really think of work as spiritual. And the author of Ephesians, who was Paul, f really thought about it that way. And maybe you can pay attention to that. As a matter of fact, he was not just this one-off apostle who was maybe romanticizing work. No, no, no. He was in line with the, the Hebrew teaching and the Hebrew tradition. In Isaiah 64, 8, it echoes that same sentiment. It says, yet you, Lord, are a father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We're all the work of your hand, right? So this is in line with, with the G Jewish tradition of sacred work. So what I want to present to you today is a framework on how to think about it, how to process it, how to sort of wrestle with it, okay? So um, I'll maybe put those slides up later as well so you can take pictures, but I can put them up on Facebook. But here's a framework for finding a calling. I'll give you four dimensions, actually five. I'll give you four at first. The fifth one is sort of unexpected, counterintuitive, and I'll t tell you why I'm gonna talk about it separately. And the way I wanna sort of explain it to you is that we're gonna use Paul, the author of Ephesians 5, as a case study, right, of how he was searched, how he was shaped into his calling, right? So here are the, here, here's the framework. Number one, natural, right? What are your natural passions, interests, in, interest, inclinations, attractions, things like that, like things that you go, I just, I don't know why I like this, but I like this, right? I don't, not, I don't know why I geek out on this or obsess over this, or I just lose myself in this. Uh, but I do, and there's something there, so we should pay attention to those things. And that's an obvious thing, right? We go, okay, well, that's, that, we call it a gift. We kind of, uh, we, it's, it's sort of a common thing in Western culture to look for that. What is it that makes you happy, right? Um, but that's, only one dimension. The second one is, is experiential, and that's actually less emphasized, I think. Um, experiential is this, is who are the people who shaped you, right? Was it your, your grandfather, your parents, a mentor, a teacher, a professor, a pastor, your mom? People who had this deep Im impact in your life. Like, can you think of names in your, in your mind right now? They just show up? Experiential. And experiences. What did you live through that sort of shaped you in a certain way? In a way that you go, that was a turning point. That was something, it made me different, right? Experiential. Um, events that shaped you. It could be good events and bad events. That made, made you different. So that's experiential. That surprisingly, will shape in many, many ways who, what you do for occupation, right? And who you can find yourself as in vocation. So the third one is it's also obvious and sort of widely acknowledged in the West and probably overemphasized a little bit, but it is important. And the third one is professional. What are your competencies, right? What are your skills? What's your education? What can you actually do better than most other people, right? What are your abilities? 
And the fourth one is spiritual. And the spiritual, the spiritual dimension is really, uh, I'll, I'll unpack this in a second, but I teach that on a practical level when I mentor people, I say this, every, man, every major decision in life, triangulate it. Like to, that's how I you know, explain it, right? Triangulate it. You know how GPS is three satellites? Finding your, you find your way because you're co coordinating with three satellites, right? That's how I think about it. Like where you are, triangulate it. And the triangulation, you can, you can have make better, deeper, godlier decisions if you include three things in your decision making. One is scripture, right? How does scripture, how does your decision, your direction in life fit within scripture? So you have to know scripture to be able to do that, right? Interpret scripture. The second one is Holy Spirit. What is, the, what is God telling you? In prayer, in meditation, in contemplation. And the third one is community. It's what are people that you trust, who you trust, um, who are wise people, people that show fruit of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, tell you when they look at your situation. If you pay attention to all those three things, you actually make less mistakes, drastically less mistakes in life uh, than, you, than you do otherwise. So I've, I've sort of lived by this for a long time. So let me, sh okay, this might feel a bit theoretical, you know, like, or obvious, but let me, sh let me illustrate this through a case study of Paul. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, his occupation was, we know, a Pharisee, a teacher. He was also a tent maker, right? Those are his occupations, his jobs. That's what we know. He might have had other jobs, but that that's what we know. But his calling, as we know him, was an apostle. Somebody who was sent, not only an apostle, but somebody who was sent to the Gentiles, specifically not to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. So what make, made him find his calling, sort of extract from his occupation, his vocation, his calling? So here, we ha actually have information about this. In Acts 22, Paul is explaining a little bit of the bag, of his background to his listeners. I think he was in Jerusalem, he was saying that. Here's what, here's what he says. I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia but brought up in this city, Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as, as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Okay, how do we see, so let me fill in the blanks and use the same framework to see Paul. Okay, natural, the natural part. What was he naturally like? Well, he was clearly zealous. He was focused. He was disciplined. Pharisees were very, very disciplined people. Um, he was a truth seeker, and he was a leader. Clearly, he was a leader because he would organize things, right? Exper experiential. And here's where it gets really interesting. He was bicultural. He was born in Tarsus, which was a Greek city, and that's why he quotes Greek poets. He, he's the only apostle of all the apostles who actually makes examples from sports, because Jews were not into sports, but Greeks were, right? He was, um, but also he was educated in a very conservative school of thought in Jerusalem. That's experiential. He experienced both the Greek culture and the, and the Jewish culture. Do you wonder why he became an apostle of the Gentiles? He, he understood both worlds, right? He was multilingual. 
So if he, he was a Roman, we know he was a Roman citizen, so he spoke Latin. We know he spoke Greek because he wrote in Greek. We know he spoke Aramaic because that was the language of the Jews in modern times, and Aramaic. And also we know that he spoke Hebrew, which is slightly different because that's the, the, the language of scripture. Now the difference between Aramaic and Hebrew, you can maybe say it's a different dialect, but it's actually not true. It's actually two different languages in the same family of languages. Aramaic was from Syria, Hebrew was from the Jewish world, right? He was multilingual. Prof how about professional? We know that he was an orator, a teacher, a tent maker, a Pharisee. And we also know that he studied under Gamaliel. That you can probably put that in the category of experiential too because it's both. It's both professional training and it's an experience of being, uh, of having a mentor. Uh, some translations said that he studied at the feet of Gamaliel of one of the pr most prominent minds in those times in Jerusalem, like one of the top guys in Jerusalem. So he had sort of the, the equivalent of a Harvard degree in the Jewish world. Highly, highly, highly educated, right? And then spiritual. Here's where we, we encounter a, a very common thing that we all encounter. And it's spiritually he was misaligned with God. He says, I persecuted the followers of this way, even to death. I'll come back to that in a second. But let me use this framework to give you an idea of how you could use this. So out of those four, natural, experiential, professional, spiritual, if you get one out of four, you don't have, you don't have anything. You know? Because it's, you don't have enough to, to add value to people's lives. If you get two out of four, you can get a job. Think about this. Let's say you have natural propensity to, some, to do something and you have enough either experience or education to do something. You can get a job like that, right? You get three out of four, you can have a career. You can have a career. You can have a long journey because you have this added value on multiple dimensions, right? You have the skills, you have the education, you have the natural propensity for something. You get four out of four, and you can have flourishing, long-term flourishing. Why? Because there's a spiritual dimension there that is added to what you do, and it just, it just, it's like the wind in your sails. Paul had three out of four, not four out of four. So he had natural, experiential, professional, but not spiritual. And he was not flourishing. Imagine that, talented, educated, multilingual, professional, skilled, not flourishing. Why? Because the spiritual dimension was not there. Does that describe your journey, if you're honest with yourself? Right? And here's what happens when that dimension, that fourth dimension is missing. In Acts 22, 6 and 7, he actually says what happens. About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He was describing the moment where, you know, such a gift to the world that Paul was and so missing the spiritual dimension, so missing his calling that Jesus himself in person have to go and rebuke him, right? Neither, none of us here want that experience. I promise you that, right? He was blind for three days, it was crazy. Very dramatic, 
right? And yet, when we don't include the fourth dimension, even, even though we can be fortunate enough to have all th the three or four, to enough to have a career, but not have a fourth one, eventually it catches up with us. Eventually it catches up with us. It happened to me, like uh, my first job, I, I had the education and I had some experience, you know, I had a, you know, a degree in economics, I went into international trading, I had sort of had some experience in that. It was like two out of four, eh, you know, just not good. Like I'm not feeling it, not aligned, didn't fly. The second attempt, I actually had three out of four. I had experience, I had talent, I had skills. I went into music career. I had a career for a decade. What happened then? The fourth dimension was absent. I hit a wall. See, the road to Damascus does not always look like a flash of lightning and a voice from heaven. It's you hitting a wall. It's you getting a, hitting a dead end. It's you going, I don't understand this. And that's, many of us hit that in our, in our midlife because it's a crisis, because we start looking at the second half of our life and go, something is wrong here, something is missing here, right? So it can, it can be experienced very differently. It can be experienced as inner conflict, as a guilty conscience. It can it be experienced as profound dissatisfaction with your life and your journey. Right? Of your professional journey. Lack of joy, lack of flow. It can be experienced all kinds of different ways. And I would maybe say that what you may be experiencing the road to Damascus. And it's not a fun journey. It's not a fun experience. And yet, it's an important thing to actually acknowledge if you're, if you're there. Because if you don't acknowledge it, it's going to not go away. You know, the lack of joy will remain. The dissatisfaction will remain. And that longing for calling will not leave you. So embracing it, embracing that road to Damascus, embracing the pain of acknowledging that something is wrong, off, I don't know, and, and just going into the pursuit of understanding that brings me to the fifth dimension that is rarely spoken about, but crucially important. I would venture to say it's one of the most powerful dimensions in finding your calling, and that dimension is pain. Your pain, and it can be expressed as regrets, shame, failure, that sort of thing, right? And there are two ways of processing pain, fundamentally. One is transforming pain into paralysis, and the second one is transforming pain into power. When you transform pain into paralysis, most of us actually go into that mode by default. So basically, you had a traumatic event, something happened to you, and you essentially, sh it constricts you permanently or long-term. And that dimension of your life is never the same again. You even you, you having a bad experience in church, in organized religion, can shape you and, and prevent you from flourishing in Christ. If you don't process it well. It's pain to paralysis. It's pain to limitation. It's pain to almost like a lesser version of you. It happens to many of us. It, in some ways, it happens to all of us, unless we see it and start dealing with it, right? And the second way is, is transforming pain into power, right? See, the Bible is full of examples of both of those journeys. 
full of examples, over and over and over again. And the best examples, the most inspirational examples that we see are almost always the people that we, we think of heroes, as heroes. There's always somebody who transformed pain to power, somebody to, who overcame hardship, incredible injustice, incredible uh, suffering. And somehow that was transformed into something for the glory of God. That are, those are the people that we admire in the Bible. As a matter of fact, those are the people that we admire in every story ever told. And yet we ourselves sometimes fail to see it in ourselves because it's painful to deal with pain. It's painful to process pain. So not to process pain is going automatically into the paralysis mode. It's the default mode of any human being because we want to avoid minimize pain. But if we confront pain, if we look it square in the face and go, I'm going to, I'm going to allow God to reach into my heart in the darkest corners of my soul and redeem it and shine his light upon it. And my prayer is that every single one of us eventually goes to the pain to power mode. Because that's what Paul did. Let me read this to you as he describes it in his own words. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, it says, For I am the least of the apostles. He starts with that. And do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. That was a, if you meditate on this, if you apply your pain and you look at it through that lens, it can change your life forever. It will change your life forever. It will change your life forever. Um, let me give you a few examples of, of how I wrestled through some of this in my life. One of the deepest pains in my life came from my parents' divorce, right? And it led me to paralysis, to actual paralysis, where I undermined my romantic relationships over and over and over again. And eventually, Jesus intervened. And, and really, my part was allowing him to intervene. And I had an absent father since my teenage years, and it deeply affected me. And it, it harmed me and paralyzed me until Jesus intervened. And if you do that work, if you, it's not just Jesus intervening, it's you accepting the intervention, see? It's doing the spiritual work, it's being open about your hurts, it's confronting things that are just hidden and dark and you don't want to deal with them. And what emerged from that is power. I have an amazing marriage. And in the words of Paul, I am who I am by the grace of God, meaning I've harmed people, I've morally failed many, many times over, but by the grace of God, I'm a great husband, I work so hard. And what he's, that's what he says, he says, I worked harder than them. And because I'm such a failure, I worked hard and I work hard on my marriage. And I have a fantastic marriage. By the grace of God, he made me who I am. Because my father was absent, and I was scarred by it, and because of the grace of God, I worked hard as a parent. 
putting my kids first in every possible way that I can possibly imagine. And we have a great relationship with my children, right? You know, one of the, some of the things that you don't talk about, and, but you should talk about it with people you know you trust, is, is the things that you barely remember, but they were dark, right? Because they can be transformed through meditation, through the Holy Spirit, through scripture, through community, into something good. One of the things that I rarely talk about is the fact that, you know, I, you know, I moved three, th- three different continents by age seven. You know, it sounds like an adventure, but it was horrible. Because, I mean, I, l- I had to learn four languages by age nine. You know how that feels to a kid? Like you de- can't communicate, you don't fit in. I don't belong anywhere. But then that transforms you and gives you something, and that's the grace of God. That's the beauty of it, right? You see it as something uh, unfortunate, right? For years, I, couldn't even, I didn't even mention it to anybody because it's an unfortunate thing in the way past. But then you open up, you start seeing it through the eyes of God, and you see, oh my gosh. That taught me how to seek communication and connect with people. And that is now a gift. That's power, right? I was lonely for a long, long time, in, I had a, in my bedroom yeah, in, in Africa, when we lived in Africa, with this, this um, sort of like, uh, this almost like a dresser, right? And the top part was high and tall, so I can actually climb into it. And like the whole sort of length of the room had this, this little cave, basically, right? So I had like candles there and cool stuff and comic books. And I spent hours in the closet reading creating worlds in my mind because I was lonely. And what that created in me is, is imagination. I would imagine stuff because I was alone. And that made me into a creative person, into an artist. That's pain to power. You can, you can look at the same exact thing and see it as a dark chapter in your life, or you can look at it and process it and really, really transform it into a gift from God by the grace of God, I am who I am, right? I was a, I was a refugee at age five, right? Fearing for my life in a refugee camp, and then Ukraine comes along, and something in me just springs to action. And what happened, what harmed me, what, what haunted me, and actually didn't mention it for, for many years, I didn't mention it as a meaningful event, more, or more like a dark chapter. All of a sudden, springs forward as vocation, as calling. And I was able to, in one week, start and create and organize and rally people into the Ukraine Relief Fund. You see how that changes people? And that, and all, every single one of us has these, has these these chapters, right, these, these dark experiences. And sometimes we're actually the authors of these dark experiences. So we're, we have guilt and shame associated with those things. And Paul had it very clearly because he says, you, you can see it, you can f- hear it in his voice, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be an apostle, right? That's how I feel. I don't deserve to be a, a, a preacher, a pastor. I'm a sinner, I'm the worst of sinners. That's exactly what he says. That's exactly how I feel. And that's precisely why I am a preacher and an evangelist. Because by the grace of God, I am who I am. By the grace of God. Right? 
And here's the cool thing. You know, if you have two out of three, you can get a job. You have three out of th uh, three, uh, two out of four, you can get a, uh, out a job. If you can, you have three, you can have a career. If you have four, you have flourishing. If you have five out of five, you can have a calling. And that's a very different place to be. And I think that's where God wants all of us to be. We're God's handiwork, created to do good works for his glory, right? So here's what I want you to meditate on, is sort of the framework again, right? And, and, and this, the calling part. And as we take the, the bread and the juice, I want you to meditate on the scripture in Ephesians 2 again. And before we do, before I pray, I want to just change one phrase in the very beginning. And I want us to say it together, to ourselves, to each other, in Ephesians 2. Let's read this together. Ready? I am God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's say it one more time. Just say it like you mean it. I am handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Mm -hmm.